Amen. Let's, let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for that truth. You know us. You know us not only by name, you know us by heart. You know us intimately. You know our strengths, you know our weaknesses. You know our capacity, Lord. You, you know what we're made of. You remember that we're made from dust. You know our thoughts and our fears and our failings, and yet you love us anyway. We're so grateful. We're so grateful that the creator of the universe knows us so well and yet loves us so much. Thank you, Father. Visit with us now as we take this time to study your word. In the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. The story is told by Patrick McGrath, who worked for Metro Media in the early 80s, of an amazing encounter. Among his various journalistic duties, Patrick served as the representative for Metro Media in the White House press conferences. He was a new member of the White House press corps, right? We've seen the reporters in the, in the briefing rooms. Well, he had never yet been called upon for a question to date, but on one particular afternoon on February 22, 1984, President Ronald Reagan was holding a news conference to discuss various topics of interest, from the U.S. involvement in Lebanon to U.S. oil exports to federal budget news. Well, all of the regular press corps members were there from the various news organizations, well-known reporters like Sam Donaldson, from ABC News, Michael Putzel from the Associated Press, Andrea Mitchell from NBC News, they were all there. And among the press corps sat Patrick McGrath. Well, he certainly had a question to ask, but he wasn't going to bother raising his hand because he knew that given his status as a relatively new member of the press corps, he was unknown and, and he wouldn't be called upon. Well, the president enters the briefing room and he begins reading his statement. He covered crime, prayer in schools, and deficits before opening the floor to questions from the press corps. He began by answering several questions from Mike Putzel of, of the Associated Press, followed by a few questions from Andrea Mitchell of NBC News. And then, to everyone's surprise, he turned in the direction of Patrick McGrath, and he asked, Pat, do you have a question? The reporter was stunned. His eyes opened wide. He felt what he thought was his heart dropping to his stomach. He couldn't believe that the President of the United States knew his name. And, and while those who, who knew him called him Patrick, it was only family and close friends who called him Pat. And here was the President in, in Reagan's wonderful, disarming way calling him Pat. How on earth does the President of the United States know my name? Well, after an awkward pause, he, he gathered himself, and he asked his question about naval shelling policy in Lebanon and had it changed due to recent events. The President graciously answered his question before moving on to other reporters. Well, McGrath admittedly wasn't able to focus on any of the other questions or answers after that. He was flying high, and, and he would never forget the moment when the most powerful man on the planet knew his name. 
You know, as human beings, we all have the innate desire to be known. We want to be known. We want to be known by name. We want to be known by reputation. We do everything we can to protect and maintain a good reputation. We desire for our loved ones to, to know and care about the details of our lives. But how well do people really know us? How well can, can any person know another? Right? You hear it all the time after a tragic shooting or, or a murder, the obligatory interview with the neighbor of the suspect. It's always the same. He seemed like such a nice guy. You know, I never would have imagined he'd do such a thing. I'm waiting for one of these neighbors one day to say, that guy's a psycho. I knew he was going to do something like this. <laughs> you never hear it, right? Wow, I had no clue. He seemed like a nice guy. What do people know about you? Well, they can certainly know of you, right? They can know you by reputation. They can know you or things about you that they've heard others tell them. They can know you by what they observe and what they hear directly from you, but does that mean they really know you? They don't know your thoughts until they become words. They don't, they don't know your fears until they become realized. They don't know your hopes and your dreams until they become vocalized. There's only one person in your life, one person who knows you completely. And in fact, he knows you even better than you know yourself. Turn with me to our text this morning, or look up at the video screens, to John chapter 10. We're going to read verses 1 to 15. And for a little context here, in the previous chapter, in chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man, and the religious officials kick the blind man out of the religious community for following Jesus. Jesus stands up for the formerly blind man and he calls the religious leaders spiritually blind. And now we enter verse 10. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. John 10, verse 1, let's read. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but... The Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Of course they didn't. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. 
The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. We're going to talk today about the good shepherd. And we're going to focus on four great truths from this passage. Our first truth, he knows you. You know, it's important when we read this passage to understand how sheepfolds work. And the ancient sheepfolds that are talked about here in the Scripture, many of them still exist in, in those towns today. It was a public sheepfold. And in the evening, all the shepherds who lived in the town would bring their sheep to the sheepfold and turn them in for the night. They would trust them to the porter who kept the sheep, and they would go to their homes for the evening. The next morning, the shepherds would come back and, and they would identify themselves to the porter, and he would let them in the door to get their sheep. Now, there were a lot of shepherds and a lot of sheep, the question is, how does the returning shepherd know which sheep are his when he comes back, when he enters through the door? Well, some, some mark their sheep so they can easily spot which ones were theirs. But the really experienced shepherds who have spent a lot of time with their sheep, they call out to their sheep, and the sheep recognize the voice, and they come to them. Here, Jesus is our good shepherd. We are the sheep. We are the sheep, His sheep. And He not only calls us like those experienced shepherds did, He calls us by name, each one individually. He knows you personally. He calls you by name. We are identified as His. Our identity is in Him. Isaiah 43.1 says this, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. We're his. This one, this one's mine. He belongs to me. She, she's mine. She belongs to me. What a wonderful thought. We're his. And there's no length he wouldn't go to for us. But, but he not only knows us and knows us by name, and he not only claims us and gives us our identity in him, he knows everything about us. He designed and created every detail of our being. Psalm 139, 13 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. In Matthew 10, 30 tells it this way, and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Wow. We're told there are on average 100,000 hair follicles on the human head. And every day your hair drops, yet God knows how many hairs are left on your head. And he, and he knows how many hairs are growing back because he bothers counting them again. When it comes to you, he always has time for every little thing about you. He knows everything about our composition. He knows every detail, every fiber of our being. And He knows everything we do. He knows our ways. He knows our tendencies. He knows our capabilities. He knows what we're capable of and He knows what we're not capable of. 
He knows our capacity. He knows our capacity for pain, our capacity for work, our capacity for trials, our capacity even for blessings. He knows when too much is too much and turns us into something He doesn't want us to become. He knows our words. He knows our words before they even are words, when they're still thoughts. He knows every thought. He knows every single thing about us. Psalm 139, 1-4 says it so well. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Completely. That sums it up well, doesn't it? Our Creator knows you inside and out. More than anyone else in your life, far better than you even know yourself, He knows you completely and thoroughly. You may not quite realize that, But there will come a time in your life when you have that moment. That moment when it becomes crystal clear that God knows everything about you and yet He loves you and calls you by name. We see it. We see it all throughout Scriptures. That moment. It's that moment in the life of Nathaniel when Jesus describes him as a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Nathaniel is astonished and asks, how do you know me? It's that moment in the life of the rich young ruler who asks Jesus what he needs to do to inherit eternal life, and Jesus looks into his heart, and he tells him exactly what is binding him and tells him what he needs to do, sell everything and follow me. And he wonders, how does he know me? It's that moment in the life of the Samaritan woman at the well When Jesus reveals to her astonishment that he knows she's had five husbands. It's that moment in the life of Matthew, the tax collector. When Jesus sees him and he sees his, his desire for a purpose in life. And he tells him, follow me. Matthew leaves it all and follows him. It's that moment in the life of Nicodemus. Who comes to Jesus at night and Jesus tells him, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. It's that moment in the life of Zacchaeus. When Jesus looks up into that sycamore tree at a man desperately seeking redemption, seeking a new start, and he calls him by name to come down and be with him, and he changes his life. It's that moment in the life of Judas, sitting with Jesus and the disciples in the upper room, when Jesus turns to him and says, Judas, You're the one who's going to betray me. He knows. There's nothing about you hidden from God. He knows you to your very core. And and the great spiritual truth of life is that He still loves you. And He still longs for you despite everything you are and everything you aren't. He knows you. What a great truth. Our second truth, He sees you. You know, in talking to some parents here today, one of the most difficult things I can imagine is sending your child off to college. 
And the biggest difficulty, yeah, Dave, you know this, isn't, isn't that you don't trust them or you, you worry what they'll do. Though I imagine at some level there is that fear. But the biggest difficulty is you're not physically there to see what they're going through in order to help them. Right? Your protective instincts are, are rendered powerless due to distance. It's never the case with our Heavenly Father. He sees every detail and circumstance we're going through, and He's there. He's aware of every problem and obstacle we face. Now, there may be many people in your life who see what you're going through. Loved ones, family members, close friends. They may see all your circumstances, but you know what? They don't necessarily see the context. God sees your circumstance and the entire history of you. He knows it. So he has the right context in order to help you the right way. He doesn't just see the sliver of detail of your problem right now. He sees it all. One day, a kindergarten teacher in the cold of winter was helping one of her students put on his snow boots. He asked for help, and she could see why. Even with her, her pulling and, and him pushing, the little boots still didn't want to go on. And finally, when the second boot was on, she realized she had worked up quite a sweat. And she almost cried when the little boy said, Teacher, they're on the wrong feet. <laughs> she looked down and, oh, sure enough, they were. It wasn't any easier pulling the, the boots off than it was putting them on, but she managed to keep her cool as together they worked to get the boots back on. It took a while. This time on the right feet. And it was only then that he announced, these aren't my boots. <laughs> she bit her tongue rather than scream, why didn't you say so? Like she wanted to. And once again, she struggled to help him pull the ill-fitting boots off of his feet. No sooner had they gotten the boots off and he said, they're my brother's boots. My mom made me wear them today. Stifling a scream... She mustered up the grace and the courage she had left, very little, to wrestle the ill-fitting boots back on his feet again. Finally, she did it. And helping him into his coat, she asked, Now, where are your mittens? To which he replied, I stuffed them in the toes of my boots. <laughs> the article ends by saying her trial starts next month. It's humorous, it's funny, but it's true. You know, we want to help others in the way we think is best, based on what we see. We don't know all the details. We don't know what's hidden. We make assumptions on what someone might need. But he actually knows what's best. He knows the context. He knows the history. And furthermore, he doesn't just see your problem today. He doesn't just know your history and see the context of what you're going through. He knows the future. As Joseph cried out to him from inside a prison cell, God could see the palace position just waiting on the other side. When Moses was wasting away in the desert, God could see the miraculous calling waiting for him at the burning bush. When David was bored out of his mind watching sheep, God knew the preparation that was being done in order for David to defeat a giant, become king, and rule a nation. 
He knows what's best for you in your situation because he doesn't just look at the situation. He looks and knows what the situation is setting up for the future. Friend, he sees everything you're going through today. Every physical ailment, he feels each pain. Every bill that needs to be paid, he's noted the exact amount. Every heartache, he sees every teardrop that falls. Every obstacle, every circumstance, every trial we're going through, he sees. And he not only sees the situation, he sees the context, the purpose, and the plan for it. Amen? What a comfort to know that he, he not only knows you intimately, thoroughly, and completely, he sees every detail of what you're going through and the context of the past, the present, and the future. What a God we serve. Our third truth, first was he knows you, second, he sees you, and third, he cares for you. It's one thing to know you and to see what you're going through. A lot of people may know you and, and, and know what your circumstance might be, right? We have people we work with. Yeah, I know Dave. He's working on such and such a case. You have neighbors. Yeah, I know Ed. He's, he's the one putting new siding on his uh, house. Yeah, you have fellow students. I know Alexander. He just got an A on his test. But it's entirely another thing for people to know you, to see your circumstance, and to genuinely care about you. He looks upon us with care and compassion. Psalm 103.13 reminds us, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. It seems like such a simple thing to remember, but how often we forget. Remember the, uh, the disciples on the storm-tossed boat. They woke up the master, Lord, Lord! We're going to die. Don't you care? You and I ask that question of God all the time and in a thousand ways, don't we? God, did you see that doctor's report? Don't you care? Do you see what a mess my marriage is in? Lord, don't you care? Do you see how little money we've got left in the bank and all the bills that are piling up? Don't you care? You see how my kids are struggling in school. Lord, Lord, don't you care? You know, this fear that grips my mind that I can't seem to get rid of. Lord, don't you care? The answer is yes. God cares. In fact, He cares more than you care. He wants to help more than you want help. He knows what will help you more than you know what will help you. He is aware and he cares. 1 Peter 5, 7 reminds us, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He cares deeply about every detail of our lives. But he knows exactly when the right time for the right answer will be. That's the difference. If you ever question how God can care about the minutest detail of your life, I would urge you to read the biography of George Mueller. George Mueller built many orphanages at Ashley Down, England. And without a personal salary, he relied only on God to supply the money he needed and the food he needed to support the hundreds of homeless children he befriended and took in in the name of Christ. He was a man of radiant faith. 
He kept a motto on his desk for many years that brought comfort and strength and, and uplifting confidence to his heart. And it read this, It matters to him about you. Mueller believed that those words captured the meaning of 1 Peter 5.7. And he rested his claim for divine help on that truth. He testified at the end of his life that the Lord had never failed even once to supply whatever need he had. I love that. It matters to him about you. And to take it further, it matters to him even more than it matters to you. That's comforting. He knows you completely. He sees every detail of what you're going through. He cares for you deeply. And finally, our fourth truth, He's the only one with the power to change your situation. He rescues you. There are many people who know you. There are some who even see the circumstances and know the circumstances you're going through. There are fewer still who genuinely care about you. But there is only one who knows you, sees what you're going through, cares deeply about you, and has the power to rescue you. It's the responsibility of the shepherd to protect the sheep. When a wolf comes, he fights it off. When a, when a thief comes, he scares him off. When trouble comes, he jumps to the aid of the sheep. And that's a picture of our Lord. Whatever we're going through, He is there. He runs to our side to protect, to comfort, to sustain, to strengthen, to uphold. When fear comes, He's there to strengthen our hearts and encourage us. When pain comes, He dries our tears. When needs are there, His providence is more than sufficient. He's our provider. He's our Jehovah Jireh. And when sin and hell came to claim our souls, well, He made the ultimate providence. He made the ultimate sacrifice for us. Verse 11 of our text, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. That's what He did. He gave His all. He gave His life for us. He gave His life for you. He gave His life in order to rescue yours. He took the punishment you deserved so that you could go free. That's our Savior. That's our Good Shepherd. The story is told of a boy and his father who were driving down a country road on a beautiful spring afternoon when a bee flew into the car. Well, the little boy was allergic to bee stings, and he was petrified. He began shaking. The father quickly reached out, grabbed the bee, and squeezed it in his hand, and then released it. The boy grew frantic as it buzzed by him, but once again the father reached out his hand, but this time he pointed to his palm. There, stuck in his skin, was the stinger of the bee. Do you see this, son, he asked. You don't need to be scared. You don't need to be afraid anymore. I've taken the sting for you. We don't need to fear death anymore. Christ has died and risen again, and He has taken the sting of death for us. That's the ultimate rescue mission. That's the ultimate expression of love. That's the pinnacle of care 
for the condition of a lost sheep. And that's what we are. The great care of our good shepherd, our divine shepherd, is this. He saves you from your sin, from death, from hell. He saves you for a place in God's flock, for fellowship with the Father, and for eternal life with Him. He's the only one uniquely qualified to accomplish this. It's a divine mission that only Christ could fulfill. What great truths. He knows you. He sees you. He cares for you. And He's the only one who can rescue you. And He went so far for you as to lay down His life to ransom yours. How do we respond to that? How do we respond to pure, unselfish, unabashed, unrelenting love? He enters the sheepfold and He calls you by name. Can you hear His voice today? Come to Him. He offers, he offers you everything. He offers you forgiveness for all your sins. He offers you a clean start with the power of His Holy Spirit. He offers you unbroken access to and fellowship with the Father. He offers you His presence in this life and His promise for the next one. He offers you eternal life in heaven with Him forever. I would say it's a once-in-a-lifetime offer, but that's not true. That offer is available to you every second of your life until you draw your last breath. But why wait? What's worth waiting for? Why take the chance of entering eternity without His redemption? He's calling you today. He's calling you by name. Can you hear His voice? There once was a shepherd that lived in the Scottish Highlands. And the shepherd had a daughter. And he would take her with him when he went out onto the moors to take care of the sheep. And the thing the little girl loved best was to hear the call of the shepherd. His voice sounded so free and beautiful as it carried across the valleys of the moors. And his sheep would hear him and come. And as the years passed, the little girl became a beautiful young woman and went off to one of Scotland's great cities, Edinburgh or Glasgow. And it was there she was determined to build a life for herself. On her arrival, she would write back home to her parents every week. But as life began to take her by the hand, her letters soon dropped off in their frequency, and eventually they stopped. Rumors began to filter back home to that shepherd and his wife that their daughter had started hanging out with some unsavory characters. And they were having a very, very negative impact and influence on her life. One day, one of the boys from back home ran into her in the city streets. She acted as if she didn't even know him. When the old shepherd heard this, he gathered a few things together and dressed in his rough shepherd's clothes, he went to the city to find his daughter. For days, for days on end, he looked for her. He looked everywhere. The slums, the, the rows of houses, the markets, the taverns, and everywhere in between, to no avail. So after all of his searching, he became so discouraged 
with the thought that he had lost his daughter to the evil city. As he started the long trek back home, just as he was on the outskirts of the city, he remembered that his daughter had always loved to hear the voice of the shepherd calling out to the sheep. So he turned around, and on this quest, motivated by his sorrow and his love, he began to stalk the streets. His voice rang out the shepherd's call. Well, the citizens of the city looked at him as if he'd lost his mind. And it wasn't too long as he walked the streets of one of the degraded neighborhoods that inside of one of those houses, his daughter sitting among the vermin who had led her astray heard his voice. With great astonishment on her face, she heard that call, the voice of the shepherd, the voice of her father calling out to her. She jumped up and and rushed out to the street and ran into the arms of the old shepherd, her father. And it was then that he took her back home to the highlands of Scotland and he brought her back to God. He's calling you today, friend. He offers you everything and asks nothing in return of you other than your acceptance. Have you made that decision? Here I am. Revelation 3.20 says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. He's knocking on your heart's door this afternoon. Do you hear him? He's calling you by name. Friend, open the door. The one who knows you completely, who sees you continually and who cares for you deeply, wants to save you, wants to rescue you, and wants to change your life and bless you unimaginably. Open the door and receive him today. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for Jesus Christ, for the Good Shepherd, who knows us so well, who, who sees everything we're going through in our lives, who cares for us so deeply, and who's the only one capable of rescuing and redeeming us, Father. If there's anyone here who has not yet opened the door to forgiveness of sin and to eternal life, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. May they reach out and take hold of the free gift, the free gift that only Christ can offer, and may they accept and receive Him today. Only then will they be His. Only then will they begin to experience life and life abundant and full. Thank you. Thank you for such amazing grace and mercy which we don't deserve, Father. We pledge to live our lives in service to you as an act of gratitude for the sacrifice made to redeem and rescue us. With all of our hearts, we offer our love and our thanks. In the precious name of our Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.